Chapter 13 of We Were There at the Normandy Invasion by Clayton Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Wayne Cook. The War from the Air. Andre was so surprised that he stammered in English, Don't fire. The flyer's hand dropped. Parlez-vous English? he faltered, frowning. Andre's suspicions leaped up. Dirty brown coveralls, the strange cap, the German-looking tow-colored hair, and the plane. Andre had never seen one like it. And the star insignia could be a Nazi fake. Andre stood his ground, some distance away. When the pilot flung open the side door and jumped out, Andre stepped back. In a swift glance over his shoulder, Andre saw Raoul reach the bottom of the ladder. He shouted, Run, get slim, Raoul, and tell the captain. For the love of Mike, kid, what gives with you? You think I'm a German? The pilot demanded. Uh, you could be, Andre retorted. Holy mackerel, the pilot laughed. <laughs> That's what I thought you were at first. I didn't even see you were a kid when I pulled the gun. Forget it. Well, Andre admitted after a moment, uh, you do talk like an American. How come? Andre laughed uncertainly. <laughs> Germans don't say I'll come for one thing, he stated. But what are you doing here? It looks as though you were lost. Lost is right. And out of fuel, too, the pilot replied with angry disgust. Now I've got to find more gas and get over to Utah Beach in a hurry. Where am I, anyway? You are about to four miles from the nearest invasion beach, Andre said. But I am not sure of the different names you Americans have given them. Someone will be here soon. Captain Dobie can come himself. He has a broken leg. Is this Dobie's command? The fire exclaimed. Well, I'm in a hurry. Cripes. I can't keep the general waiting. He'll give me hoopla for navigating myself into this mess. Fog or no fog. Here's somebody now. It was Slim at a gallop, followed by two armed guards. They fell in on each side of the pilot. Slim took a quick look at the flyer and the plane and asked, uh, What outfit you with? Army Liaison Squadron, Lieutenant Bill Carson, replied the pilot. You with the 82nd Airborne? Slim nodded and asked sharply, Now, what's up here? Don't you guys use landing strips anymore? <laughs> Don't pilot on, buddy, Carson said. I'm in bad enough already. I got myself lost good in this weather. And this kid here thought I was a German. Slim turned sternly to Andre. You can overdo this taken prisoner without consulting us, you know, son, he muttered coldly. He explained to the pilot more mildly. This Andre and old Frenchman helped uh, catch a car full of Nazi officers once. But once is enough. The lieutenant stared at Andre. Say, he exclaimed. Are you the French kid I heard about? Trap those German staff officers? I'll bet my general would like to shake hands with you. He's the one who questioned them. Slim put on his best corporal's manner. Best we get back to your business here, Lieutenant. How are you going to wangle your jalopy out of this corner, now that you got her wedged in so good? The pilot shrugged. Get me some gas and I'll fly out, okay. I might have to wait till the fog lifts a little. Slim pondered a moment. Listen, Andre, you think we could squeeze a little more gas out of that pump of your dad's? Take us an hour more to waylay a U.S. truck carrying gas. Andre smiled. 
We have been telling everyone the pump was empty, but uh, we have a little left in case of, uh, you know, uh, Carson gave a yelp. I know, emergency you mean. Well, boys, I am in the worst emergency you'll ever meet. Slim ordered one of his men to guard the plane. At a frown from the guard, Raoul, who had been standing close by, stalked off. At the house, Slim went in to report to the captain and came back with word that Dobie had telephoned the general waiting at Utah Beach. The general had a message to Carson. What did that idiot mean by getting stuck in a blasted cow pasture? And tell him to get out of there in a blasted hurry or I'll have his blasted and so forth. Carson smiled wanly. That's my general, he said. Slim went back to duty, and André and the pilot refilled the plane's tank from the cans they had brought from the Gagnon pump. Carson took a dismal look at the gray-blanketed landscape. With André's help, he rolled the machine around so that it headed away from the hedge. Want to get in while I taxi her into position? Carson asked. You are permitted? André cried. <laughs> Carson laughed. Of course I'm not permitted. But what's the difference? Climb in. André clambered into the seat beside the pilots. Carson turned the switch, adjusted the throttle, swung the propeller, and the engine started promptly. Now fasten that seat belt and hold on. This feels bumpy. With the surge of power, the plane began to move. Skillfully, the pilot rattered a jolting course around the potholes and stumps to the far corner of the meadow. Need all the run I can get for the takeoff, he explained. Faced around for a diagonal course, he throttled the engine. Gosh, I think the fog is beginning to break, he cried. He leaned out to observe the wind direction, which already was beginning to ruffle the tops of the trees. I'd feel better if I knew this country, he said. You know it like your own hand, I suppose. Andre said he did, and the pilot stared down at him thoughtfully. Say, Carson broke out again, how about you coming along for the ride and point out landmarks for me? Andre's eyes lit up. But, uh, he began, you see the evasion beaches yet? I'll show them to you, he offered. Before Andre could gather his wits, Carson exclaimed, there's a patch of blue sky. We'd better grab this chance. Hang on, here we go. And he pushed open the throttle. Andre felt the engine quicken, and then the forward jolt as the brakes were released. Smoothly, the little ship lifted after the short run. Banking sharply, it swept toward the far rim of trees and, with inches to spare, skimmed over them. The mist was breaking up, revealing open vistas. As the plane rose, the houses and fields below shrank away swiftly. The pilot said, Keep a close watch for low-flying bombers. They're all over the place today, cleaning out isolated German pockets. Almost at once, they were over the marshes. That's our road to the sea, Andre pointed. The mists broke away sharply over the channel. Andre gasped. A staggering panorama had been unveiled. Pygmy files of marching troops, Pygmy tanks and trucks crawled up the sea road in an endless procession. Oceanward, beyond the shore bluff and wreck-strewn beach, lay a sight which André could scarcely take in. Hundreds of ships extended as far as he could see across the gray waves. Over the ships, huge balloons lolled and bobbed and tugged at their anchors. Destroyers and landing craft darted between the shore 
and a line of hundreds of transports. Andre could make out a fleet of planes heading toward Cherbourg to the north, and from that direction the dull thud of bombs rolled back on the wet air. It is grand, he managed to say breathlessly, but, he hesitated and added slowly, it is terrible for the French people, so many guns and bombs pointed at us. Carson glanced down at him. They're pointed at the Germans, he corrected Andre. Don't forget that we're trying not to hurt France more than necessary. We, I know, Andre said, but sir, I did not know that there were so many ships and guns in the whole world. Well, said Carson, take a good look while you've got the chance. I've got my bearings now. Andre studied the beach below. In the shallow water, wrecked landing craft swung uselessly half awash. On the sea's edge lay tanks, which had reached the shore only to be shelled into wreckage. Savage battles had turned the sands into a disorder of blasted, blackened gun pits and machine gun nests. Twice, while Carson circled, Andre saw him fiddling with the radio. Then he spoke into the hand microphone and listened for a few moments. Got him at last, he said. They say we've got to hold off a while longer. Some Luftwaffe guy got through last night and bombed the strip. They're just finishing repairs. See them down there? Andre looked directly down. Tiny men laying strips of steel mesh moved in groups like ants. Bulldozers swept along one side, and between the airstrip and the sea, supplies were piling up steadily into mountains. Carson grinned. I'll bet that's my general pacing up and down in front of that big tent. A second later, he said, As long as we can't get down right away, how about we take a look at the English and Canadian beachheads? He swung along shore and headed eastward. Carson pointed out the little city of Carantan. There was a rattle of machine guns below, and the pilot threw the plane into a series of violent turns. Noises like angry wasps streaked past their ears. Andre swayed dizzily. Uh-oh, what am I doing in here? Carson yelled. That's the way I get holes in my ship. He pointed out new terrors in the fabric. As they zoomed away, he explained, That was a Nazi machine gun. There are still German troops and guns between Utah and Omaha beaches and the British beachheads. The plane climbed steadily away, and Andre relaxed. The fury of Omaha and the British beaches was very like that which he had seen at Utah. Unconsciously, Andre shuddered. Far to the right, under a pall of smoke and the flickering of explosions, lay a city being pounded to rubble. That must be Caen, Andre murmured. My mother was born in Caen. Then, after a moment, the houses, the farms, cows, the horses, the people, he counted sadly. Carson sat thoughtfully quiet. He swung the ship in a wide circle for the return. Don't think about it, kid, he said presently. Just remember the big German guns that aren't there anymore. Andre replied slowly. I don't think we really knew the liberation would be as bad as this. We will be glad when it is over. Suddenly the pilot jammed his control stick forward. The plane nosed into a violent dive. Hang on, fighters overhead. Up there, he shouted. Andre's head had jerked back. 
In his range of vision, a formation of six thunderbolts with white stars roared past. Wow! Carson gasped and pulled the ship level. They're after a bridge, he yelled. Andre watched plane after plane go into a dive, and the bombs leave the racks to arc downward. In the successive rain of bombs, a black flame-flecked cloud shot skyward. They have hit it, Andre cried jubilantly. The thunderbolt zoomed upward out of the haze, reformed, and disappeared toward England. Some time later, Carson talked once more into the radio. It's okay. They say you to come in now. The runway's ready, he announced. He throttled back. Well, now you know what the beaches are like, he sighed. There was a smooth descent. Carson slid in over the seal mesh and brought the machine to a stop beside a group of officers. He snapped open his own seat belt and Andre's. Uh-oh, Carson gasped. I better try to explain you. Andre looked across at a glistening, brilliant red face that belonged to a bulky man in a sweat-stained uniform. It's the general, Carson whispered. He pushed the door open and saluted. He spoke more rapidly than usual. This is the French boy, sir, who helped catch the Nazi brass from Paris. The general seemed to be caught between fury and curiosity. <laughs> is it? He sputtered at last. And what's he doing in an army plane? Uh, well, sir, Carson blinked. I needed... Oh, never mind, boomed the general explosively. He's here now and I want to shake hands with him. Come on, boy. Andre leaped down from the plane and his hand disappeared in the general's bare clutch. I was glad to thank you personally, roared the huge man gruffly. He mopped his neck. Want to tell you... What's your name again? Andre Ghanian? Uh, can't get these foreign names. Brought in languages. But I can judge people. Where's that old fellow, friend of yours, uh, Vilmer, was it, who shot the tires off the Nazis? Andre had tried to speak several times. Now he said loudly, Victor, let's go. Uh, let's go. Let's go. That means green vegetable, doesn't it? Barked the general. No, well, never mind. Congratulate him for me. Found out a lot from those Nazi colonels we did. Tell you what, we expect the biggest generals we got here in this bridgehead for a couple of days. Eisenhower, Marshall, Arnold. They'll be glad to know how you French kids have helped. He paused for breath. Well, gotta get going, Lieutenant. Carson emerged from inspecting the bullet holes in the plane, again chattering rapidly. How are we going to get this boy home, sir? He can't walk. It's too far. The general snorted. Send him in a jeep, of course, with some new orders for Captain Dobie. An iron-faced sergeant appeared and saluted. Oh, there you are, Strukov, shouted the general. Take this boy to Captain Dobie. Boy knows where this command post is, over there somewhere. He jerked a large thumb toward inland Normandy. At the plane, he called back. Mind you, get a receipt for him. Carson called to Andre. We had fun, eh? Be seeing you, and opened the throttle. Half an hour later, a jeep bearing Andre in the front seat rocketed around a line of trucks and soldiers into Andre's own village. He had been busy for some minutes, thinking how he was going to explain his trip to Captain Doby. As the jeep rolled down the village street, Andre saw that something unusual had happened. The neighbors were running toward a little gathering of people. His eyes raced over them and stopped. In front of the parish house, 
worn, gray with fatigue, his clothes dusty and torn, loomed a tall old man. Andre's heart stood still. Father Dupre! he shouted. End of chapter 13